Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Divorce Redefined, Changing the Experience of Divorce. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard. And for those of you who are new to my podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm a certified divorce coach, certified divorce specialist, and trained relationship decision coach. I am also a single mother of two teenagers who went through my own divorce over five years ago, which is what launched me on this path to doing what I am doing now for you, as well as for redefining myself and my purpose and my mission to change the experience of divorce for others. So if you are out there just contemplating divorce in the thick of the process, or you're out the other side and you're wanting to make better choices and redefining yourself and your life you have come to the right place. My goal and purpose are to provide you with the information, education, guidance, inspiration, and empowerment so you can make the best decisions for you. Divorce is never easy, but it doesn't have to be ugly, and making it ugly is a choice. So right now, if you or someone you know is currently on the fence about your marriage, Maybe you're contemplating divorce. Maybe you're stuck on how to have the right conversation with your spouse. You know the one I'm talking about, the talk that tells your spouse you want a divorce. Well, I have something for you. I have just launched my mini course called The Talk. It's Master the Art of Having This Hard Conversation with Your Spouse. So if you're struggling to find the right words to tell your spouse you want a divorce, and you've been constantly putting off this conversation... This is for you. This is my self-guided workshop, mini style course that's designed to help prepare you for having the hard conversation. In this course, you're going to get a 30-minute self-paced video, over 20 different scripts, sentence starters, and possible responses to help you start this conversation and form the best narrative possible. Because I know you just don't know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and even what to do with their reaction. This course is for you. So if you are not following me yet over on Instagram, go check me out at Divorce Redefined and click the link in my bio and grab this course at a very low price to really help you get this conversation started. Because honestly, the way you can start this conversation is going to determine how you can hopefully make this go. And you want it, you want to do it right. So many of us wait for the shoe to drop. We wait for that fight. We wait for that moment to explode, to tell our spouse we want a divorce, but you get a chance to change that. We can't change the system and how they handle us, but we can definitely change how we experience and start this process. So go over there and click the link in my bio on my Instagram page at Divorce Redefined and get yourself into the course. Now today, I have a very special guest with me that I'm really excited to introduce you to. She is a New York City-based writer and journalist and founder of Right on Track LLC, which is a full-service consultancy dedicated to providing high-quality content and strategy to individuals and businesses. 
She has written extensively on lifestyle topics, including career reinvention, health and wellness, personal finance, divorce, and parenting. And her work has been published all over the world in some of the most amazing publications like the Washington Post, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post, Scary Mummy, and MariaShriver.com, just to name a few. The list goes on from there. She's a single mom of three amazing kids, and she also authored the memoir, I Bought My Husband's Mistress Lingerie. This book was to share her experience navigating bicontinental co-parenting, midlife dating, and career reinvention, and she is here to share her story with us. Welcome to the show, Stacey Freeman. Hi, Cindy. I'm so Hi. happy to be here. I'm excited to have you too. When we connected over on LinkedIn and I had to check out what you were doing, I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be a good topic. I need to hear your story. Well, um, I don't even know where to start. Where do we begin? <laughs> well, well, let's go back a little bit and, and tell us a bit about you know your journey um, and connect it to your experience. Because I always like my listeners to know that there's so much life after divorce and so many of us have gone through it. And every guest that I bring on the show has their own personal story to connect with. So we'd love to hear to hear yours. So I was just you know, living my life, like so many people, you know, that are married with kids kind of going through the motions. My husband worked a lot. I had three kids at the time that were 11, 10 and six. So running to school activities, homework, dinner, you know, every single day, the same thing marathon from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep. And my husband and I were kind of doing our own thing, but really doing our own thing because two years um, prior to when everything kind of blew up in my household, um, my my husband uh, was starting to, he had just started to work in Asia, in Hong mm -hmm. Kong, and we had made the decision together um, that he would commute, in air quotes, um, mm back and forth um, to the US, which meant he would come home every few months, um, see the kids, see me. And, you know, we talked every day, but uh, we had lived there as a family. Um, I had two kids when we went over back in 2003 and came home with three. Mm. And um, <laughs> he was, you know, supposed to go back there for work. And I just, I really wasn't interested in pulling my kids out of school. Right. They were in elementary school and, you know, he had to go and we kind of made this decision, okay, I'm going to stay here. You know, neither one of us was happy with this situation, but we were going to just, you know, for two years go back and, you know, he would go back and forth and yeah. um, I would live here. But that, you know, that's a span of 8,000 miles. So yeah, that's a far way and, and a time change. And like, yeah, a lot right. of, a lot of families have been through situations like that. Well, when we when we decided to do it, we kind of said, "Okay, we'll be like military couples." Right. <laughs> not that that's easy, but you know, it's not like it hasn't been done before. But it it just, you know, as as two years passed, it really put a strain mm -hmm. on our marriage. And I just one day I um, walked. He he was home and acting a little oddly, and I basically can read about it more in the book, but I opened up his suitcase and found a bag of lingerie that was not purchased for me. 
Wow. So that was kind of like a punch in the face. And from there, I felt like I was in a lifetime, you know, movie of the week. And um, yeah, and it was just a wake up call that, okay, my life is not as, you know, simple and, uh, you know, kind of perfectly non-perfect, you know, imperfect as it looks. Yeah. And when you discovered that, because I know there are many stories of women discovering, you know, certain elements of clothing that don't belong to them in husband's uh, laundry or luggage, you know, after these business trips or on trips. Did you look back at that moment and think of, had you seen the signs? Had you missed the signs? Had you known or had a feeling that maybe it would go this way? Because you know, when we have that moment and we kind of like look retrospectively and we're like, okay, did I, did I overlook something? Did I see, did I see the signs? How did that play out for you? I, uh, there were definitely signs looking back and it wasn't anything that was, would have been in my face, but I think we were increasingly growing apart. I think he was unhappy doing this, you know, commuting lifestyle. And it was was a strain physically, mentally, emotionally. And a few months before he he said to me, how long can we go on doing this? And it wasn't that much long Mm. before this happened. And I said, well, well, what do you want to do? And I said kind of sarcastically, do you want to get a divorce? And he said, no, 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 no. So I don't exactly know what was going on in his head. I never will. But Mm -hmm. um, it was clear that this was just putting a large strain on both of us. And I was very resentful because here I was here alone raising kids. And, you know, it was the same, you know, it was a strain for me as well. So I was resentful. So he would come home and, you know, you, you kind of have that picture of, you know, I guess it's almost like a meme now where the yeah. husband comes home and the wife hands the husband the baby type of thing. So he right. would come back from a trip and, you know, I wasn't standing there welcoming. I was, you know, pissed off that mm-hmm. I'd been going months, never without a break. And um, so we both had our own resentments. So looking back, it's not a stretch to see that something like this could happen. Mm-hmm. Should it have happened? I mean, I don't. I don't support cheating in a relationship. I think that if you're unhappy, leave. But, you know, this is the real world. And I think that um, things happen and there's reasons for it. I don't support his choice to do that. I never will. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that I don't understand how it could happen. And actually, I delve into that in the book um, a bit about how this could happen to a couple yeah, I think that it's there's so many factors involved in that kind of thing and I think that yeah, working distance uh, from a distance like that is bound to put so much pressure on your on your marriage especially when you can't be physically intimate or even emotionally intimate for that matter as well and not in the same space. So walk us from that moment you found that. I imagine that the feeling that you had was overwhelming and what did you do from there? <laughs> Well, I mean, it was pretty shocking. He had been acting. He was home for a conference. Um, we we were supposed to have met in London for a long weekend a few days before he was back in the house for this conference he was at. And at the last minute, I was all packed. My mother and stepfather were coming to watch the kids. Everything was all ready to go. And he said, you know, don't come. I'm tired. You know, I'll just see you at home. 
And, you know, I was, again, very busy with the kids and running around. And I was just like, okay, whatever, you know, it's a hassle. I was looking forward to going. And then that was in the afternoon. And then in the evening, I got into an argument with him over the phone. And I said to him, well, why did you do that? You know, that was really upsetting to me that you canceled at the last minute. And he said to me over the phone, and he said, uh, I am done with our marriage. I've moved on. Oh, wow. Just like that. Very, you know, matter of fact, kind of very monotone, which is how he kind of speaks sometimes. And I I said, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I was screaming. I was like, what do you mean you've moved on? It it just was not registering. How do you move on? You have a house, kids, a cat. Like, how do you move on? Uh, You know, I'm done with our marriage. I've moved on. What does that mean? Right. And he's like, I'll talk to you about it when I get home. And I said to him right then, is there somebody else? And he said, no. Mm, Of course. Yeah. So um, he came home the next day or the day after that. He was acting strangely. And so just very, but he kept repeating the same thing. And then he kind of was like, well, we'll see, you know, what happens this week. And it was just like very neither right. here nor there. Really ambigu- then, ambiguous. Yeah. And I was, I just had no idea what was going on, but, you know, I started, you know, snooping around and- um, Like we all do when we're suspicious, right? I, I didn't even know what I was looking for. Yeah. So um, he always had put his suitcase in our bedroom when he came home and it was always out and the, the lid, the top was always open. And so I'd walked past it a ton of times. And this was also like a bone of contention because I always wanted it in the walk-in closet because it annoyed me. It was on the floor. You know, it made it seem like he wasn't there living there. I didn't want this suitcase out. And he just always put it out. And I think that was more of a statement. Mm. And so I was walking back and forth past it in the bedroom. And then I realized that it looked different. And the reason why it looked different was because the top was closed and no. he had gone we had we had gone to lunch and then he said he was going to the mall and he went to the mall and said he was buying shoes but didn't come back with shoes and i think you know sometime after that during the week i opened up the suitcase and i'd never ever looked in anything before and that's when i saw you know the bag with the lingerie in it and mm-hmm. i confronted him and he denied it at first said it was He'd purchased it for a client. For so him or what, what could have been. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. No, he said it was purchased it for a client. And um, I was like, that sounds insane. That sounds ridiculous. And, you know, eventually during that week, he said, you know, he said, you know, who it was for, which was mm-hmm. not for me. And mm-hmm. um, that's when, you know, everything kind of came to a head. And so he went back to Hong Kong saying he wanted to, quote, see this thing through see this through for whatever, you know, happens and left a few days later. And there I was back where I was, you know, I still had to get up, make lunch, make dinner, you know, take the kids here, there and the other place. And my life was going on, except I was in this emotional turmoil. Yeah. And so, you know, you talked about at the beginning, you are having, you know, um, a class about telling your kids that you're getting a divorce, which I think is so important because, you know, you really have to, I I didn't know what was going on and you really have to have, it's helpful to have somebody there 
helping you regulate your emotions. So there's no mm-hmm. outbursts and things that you're saying in front of your kids. And I think that's part of the importance of having a divorce coach. I did not have one. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I was just reeling, you know, in general. So, um, you know, there I was standing there going, where do I look next? Right. And that was me for the next three months until I finally said, we're getting lawyers. Bye-bye. And starting this. And he'd already gone back and, but no, nothing had really started. And so from there, I mean, you're left on your own devices to kind of figure this out and, right. you know, start the process and he's overseas leaving your marriage and with someone else. So tell us, you know, what, you obviously went then went through the divorce process and was that like, you know, a long drawn out process like most no. or you guys the did divorce it- part, the divorce was the easier part. It was getting to that place. I would say those first few months. So this happened in January and I think that the divorce process started in April, I believe. And so it was like from that January to April, which, you know, was to me just like, you know, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know if I was going to be the type of woman that could forgive a husband that had cheated because at one point during that time, he came home and said we were going to try and, you know, work it out. You know, he was home for a few days. That was very much towards the end of this three-month or four-month period. Mm -hmm. Um, He came home for a week and my kids were looking at us like, what is going on? Mm, Because you would try to, you were trying to repair. Yeah. Like he had stopped seeing her and um, I didn't trust anything that was going on, but he came home for a few days and um, in the house, it just, you know, I, I, Mm. I had to go through it myself to see if I was this type of person that could forgive cheating. And um, I'm not, but that's not to say that someone <laughs> so, else, yeah, someone else might be. And, you know, everyone has to go through and there are people who do repair marriages after that, but obviously both people have to be invested. Um, I, the reason why I ended things and I said, get a lawyer and I had gotten a lawyer already and just kind of kept the lawyer in the background. But the reason why I just said, go find a lawyer was because I am not that person. And I felt like he was not invested. This is the critical part. He was Mm -hmm. not invested in seeing this marriage work. And that became evident to me in April. And we had gone to marriage counseling briefly and he Mm -hmm. was just not invested. And it made me really reflect back on a lot of things in the marriage that I didn't think he was invested in, you know, at certain, you know, certain aspects of it. And, um, it makes you look back and, yeah. and examine things like, was this really what I was seeing at the time? Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. they say hindsight's twenty twenty, but um, yeah. And when you think really, about it, like being invested, what are those types of of characteristics that it, it that were there for you that said, okay, he's clearly not invested. These are the signs that's telling me that he's really not invested for truly making this this effort and making our marriage work through this. Well, I think at the end, he wasn't invested, just that came out in the marriage counseling. But I think looking back, I'm very good at being partners in life. You know, we had our uh, division of labor, so to speak. Right. He worked. He was the breadwinner. 
I ran our house like a corporation. Um, <laughs> you know, no, I was very organized in our yeah. household. I, you know, that was my domain, and I was happy with it. And to a point, and you know, he seemed to be content with his, you know, going to work and building this wonderful career. But you know, as time went on, you know, I was feeling dissatisfied with just being home. And um, I didn't really feel like I had the space or the wherewithal maybe or the support to um, do something. And and that was partially on me. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. it was just, you know, there's no one person to blame for, for this existence. But over time, the situation wasn't going to work. Yeah. So. It's huge that you say that, that you have that um, – acknowledgement that, you know, it does take two people for, to make a marriage work. And looking at that, you know, infidelity is one of the, the biggest things that get in the way of even an amicable divorce, because that's, that's painful. You know, you're scorned. It's, you've been betrayed on, on the deepest level. And oftentimes we don't, we tend to jump to protecting ourselves, and we want retributive justice, right. For, for the harm that harm that we have, have been put through. And, so much of that I see gets in the way of the divorce process that it really impedes how they're able to continue because someone is just so angry and so scorned that they have been cheated on, let's say. But right. how did this go for you? Because it sounds like you were, you know, very hurt, obviously, and very, very blindsided by this. But it sounds like you didn't let it impede your process as much as maybe it could have. I, I could have let it impede me more, but I, like I said, like I had to function because I was the only parent here. Yeah. Um, and not that I always did it well, you know, because I was going through my own emotional turmoil, but I really had to rein it in as far as, you know, being angry and, and constantly because you feel sick. I mean, I, I, my hair was falling out. Mm-hmm. I lost 30 pounds and some like something like 20 to 30 pounds in like three weeks. Oh um, all of a sudden I, I was, I, every day at four o'clock, um, I would throw up. I was forcing Cheerios down my throat in the morning, would not eat. And at four o'clock I would just start to gag. And I had, um, a group in my house of kids taking a class after school. And one of the children actually went home and asked his mother if I could, had cancer because of the way I looked. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, maybe he heard me retching in the bathroom. I don't know. But um, that was also a wake-up call. Like I didn't, you know, I my, wasn't treating my body well, not intentionally, but I couldn't go on like this. And so, um, you know, I just pulled the plug. And um, I think that was a relief for him. I think he was a little surprised I pulled it at first, but I think it was a relief for him that this was now going to go forward and um, – for me, I just wanted it done at that point. Mm-hmm. And I would say overall, I mean, we had our disagreements during the divorce process, but we really made it a point not to make this last a long time, not to, um, you know, just fight over nonsense. And and I'll give you an example. Like we had three mediation sessions and, you know, after Definitely. I remember after one of them, you know, we were arguing during the mediation and it was like, we walked out together and we're like, okay, do you want a bagel? And we went out and had a bagel together. (laughs) So um, I think out of two of them, we ended up like driving two together and, um, you know, like 
I've known this person so long and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, everyone says, oh, it's the children, it's the children, it's the children, but it really is. And so, you know, you, you say things about each other at first and you're like, is this really good for my kids? Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you have to just go move past it because this is the reality. You have a divorce situation and it's hurtful for everybody involved. My kids didn't have their parent living in the house for years and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone struggles with their own, you know, piece of this story and, you know, they have their own dynamic to, to deal with and they'll have that their whole lives. But um, my kids turned out amazing and um, they're smart and articulate and, you know, they have a great relationship with their father and um, you, you just, you have to really put your mind to it and say, you know, the fighting and the carrying on is not going to benefit anyone, him, me, the kids, the bank accounts, nothing. Yeah. It's just, maybe it benefits the lawyers, but yeah. <laughs> that's not who you want to benefit. And, you know, he actually said to me at one point, like, we need to stop this because, you know, we're just wasting money. And it's the truth. So um, it took 11 mm-hmm. months. Oh, which, wow. Yeah. And I think it's, I actually think it should have taken less time but, um, you know, just with people, you know, lawyers not filing things, you know, on time and, you know. Yeah, it goes slow. Maybe deliberately slow, but I, it should have taken less time even. Right. And, and maybe I know because there's, of your emotions, it kind of slowed it down a little bit more. I don't know. It was n- – no. I don't oh. think that was actually the case. My emotions did not slow it down. In fact, I think – if anything, I may have gone too fast. Okay. And so I was pushing to have it done. And I think that's also um, not a great angle to take either. Um, I think that there has to be a happy medium because you really have to make sure and cross your, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's. And mm-hmm. I think rushing, you know, there there's a happy medium between letting your emotions get the best of you and sitting there writing nasty emails and carrying on and um, fighting over things that looking back, you know, aren't important. And then, you know, addressing things in a more um, in-depth way that are important. So yeah, um, too slow. neither one is good. Yeah, I, so I don't I think agree this with was you. necessarily too fast, but I would have slowed a few things down. Right. Looking back. Yeah. And I agree with you that it takes a big, emotionally mature person to be able to say, you know what, this has happened and, but I, you know, and it's hurtful and I, but I'm not going to let it impede, you know, my process. The fact that I did spend all these years with this person, we did have kids together. What's happened is what has happened. And now how are we going to move forward and not continue the fight because you have that unresolved trauma with someone who's, who's hurt you. So tell us more about the path of Clearly, you've written a book about this, yeah. <laughs> so there it goes a bit deeper. But how did you guys navigate this, and what spawned writing this book? Were you already an author as you are right now, and doing all that writing, or when did that come into play for you? So I had gone to law school, but I was a stay-at-home mom for years, and I had never practiced law. I'd worked outside the field, you know, for a year and a half, and then got pregnant and was pretty much home. We had lived overseas. I'd always wanted to be a writer. So after, you know, my divorce, I took six months and tried to figure out what it is that I really want to do and, you know, what will be a career for me. 
And um, I decided that I wanted to be a, a writer and be paid for it. So how do I do that? Never having that experience. And I've written here and there, but I had never been paid for it. So what I did was I started a blog, but the blog, apart from you know, telling my story, because now finally I had something to write about. Yeah. And I wrote about things that had happened and then things that were happening in real time. Um, I wrote a blog, but always intended it to be an online resume. So I wrote this blog and it really started picking up steam because it's very relatable what I was mm -hmm. going through. And, you know, I kind of showcased my writing in different ways and different styles. And but it was always telling this story. And I started getting picked up by different publications. And um, at one point, one of my friends came to me and she had um, seen an ad for a copywriter on Craigslist. And she said to me, go apply for this. You know, you can do yeah. this. And that was my first paid assignment. And I was like, wow, I can do this. And so the blog ran for about two years. It was just this tremendous body of work. And I kind of let it sit there, but I always wanted to do something with it. And I started an LLC and I started a business. So all of these things that were going on kind of merged into this business. My law degree, because I work a lot with, you know, lawyers, family lawyers, especially mm -hmm. in estate planning. And I ghostwrite and, you know, I've worked with, you know, dating experts and different people, but it all kind of works together. Right. And so the business started growing from there. And um, but this body of work was always kind of hanging out in the background. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to do something with it because it resonated with so many people. And like people I didn't know, but in my community would come up to me and, and come up to me long after I had finished the blog because it ran for two years and would say, you know, I used to read your blog. Or <laughs> yeah. I, I would get I would get and these people were married and I would get emails occasionally from from people telling me that what I was writing really had an effect on them. And I think the one that stands out the most for me was I got an email from a gentleman who had been, you know, cheating on his wife. Mm. And he said that after he read something that I had written, um, he stopped. And he said he saw wow. the effect it was having on me and my family. And he stopped. And we went back and forth, you know, with, you know, a few emails and um, really stood out to me. And I always remembered that. And I have a file like with emails that people wow. sent to me. So I figured, you know, this, it was important and it was my personal, it was my personal experience, but it really, you know, it affected other people and, you know, people were interested in it. So yeah. around 2015, 2016, I started compiling it and there was so much and I, you know, started to organize it and it was just hard to get a structure to it. And I worked with, you know, someone outside, like an, you know, an outside editor just to help me because you need an extra pair of eyes to look yeah. at something because you're so close to it. And after we worked together, you know, we trimmed it down, but it was still gargantuan and mm. um, I wasn't happy with it. And I would go back and work on it and then stop and work on it. And finally, I just got it to a place and I was like, I sent it to a, I sent it to Unsolicited Press, which is... Um, a small publisher um, in the Pacific Northwest and someone had recommended them to me and um, the manuscript was accepted. And Amazing. I almost jumped out of my chair when I got the acceptance email. And um, 
from there, you know, it took three years to actually have the book come out and it went through more edits through then. And, you know, I want to say that every time I read the manuscript as it was forming, it was so painful because, you know, you're like walking through these parts Reliving of your it life, again, right? Living yeah. it. And, but I had to organize and I just remember the day that I really, the, the format crystallized for me where I had moved one of the essays that was in the middle to the front and just the whole story took shape. Mm. And from there it was like, you know, I had something. Right. And where did your title come from? Tell us a little bit more about that. So I had written an essay, um, for the Huffington post, uh, back maybe 2015, 2016. And that was, it it was called the day I bought my husband's mistress lingerie. (laughs) And the article just went crazy. And it was about that experience of um, finding the lingerie. And, you know, the spoiler is, is, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about the story. I, I tore it up when I found it, I cut it up because I was so distraught. Mm -hmm. And, um, I put it back in his suitcase and I wrapped it up in the tissue paper and put it back. And I figured when he gave it to her, she'd open this, you know, <laughs> this present and it would be destroyed. And so, you know, it didn't sit well with me. And the next day, like I walked over to my husband who was, you know, in the shower and I told him what I had done. And he said that very, very flatly, I'm only going to buy her another one. Mm, even more and, hurtful. Yeah. And so really the writing was on the wall. This was not going away. And um, I said, I'll do it. And I walked out the door, you know, and I went to the mall and I looked for the same exact piece and I bought it and brought it home. And put it wow. Stacy, like <laughs> what is going through your mind at that point? Because I know a lot of women, a lot of women would be like, you know, screw you, forget it. Like we're not doing that. I'm ruining this. And, you know, you literally pivoted that. And did you do that? Because what was your thinking process there? Were you doing it from the kindness of your heart? Like what was going on for you? Because that takes a serious, emotionally strong person in that moment. Well, you literally found this days before. I wouldn't say the kindness of my heart because I really, <laughs> I don't, I, I didn't do anything for her. I wasn't trying to help her out with anything, yeah. but I really did it for me because I felt like I didn't want to look like this scorned wife, right? you know, it's cutting lingerie up and just standing there and, you know, you know, having him look at me with disdain. And um, I wanted to kind of put myself above it. And mind you, this was still like a very surreal experience. And um, it's not like I was plotting this out and thinking completely clearly, but right. I knew in, I knew in that moment that, okay, I don't want to be that person for whatever oh. reason, whatever was driving me. I did not want to be that person. So I went to the mall and that was, I describe it in the book, the scene of me walking into the store and asking for this and her asking me what size and, you know, not telling her the size that's mine and buying this and going home. How did that feel for you in that moment to do that? Surreal. Yeah. But I felt kind of like better about myself having done it. And mind you, I'm not doing her any favors. It wasn't for her. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's very yeah. clear. And I think that when we we get to that place too, where we're getting to forgiveness even or acceptance, you know, and we need to do something for ourselves because you in that moment, you knew so much in yourself. This is not the person that I want to be. This is something that's happened to me and how I choose to respond and react to it is an indication of who I am and my own character, but that is not the person that I want to be. I don't want to be that scorned wife that's, you know, the, what is it? What is that movie with? Glenn Close and she puts the buddies in the in the you know yeah. in the pot yeah, you know fatal attraction fatal, fatal attraction like I'm not going down that path and being that person I need to be me through this and what does that look like right and mind you like I am a a, a Nancy Drew and like I wanted every detail about what was going on so right. you know I still my personality is I just want to know what I'm dealing with and so you know, I was still very much consumed with everything that was going on. I wanted to know who this person Mm -hmm. was, what she was doing with my husband, why she was doing this. And I talk about it in the book, I called her. And so it kind of (laughs) unraveled. I know. Wow. Uh, So, um, you know, I think we all go through a process where we have to come to terms with, you know, the situation that we're in. And, you know, I think you have to kind of understand your situation and what you're dealing with. And I think when he said to me, I'm only going to buy her another one, mm-hmm. um, that really said something to me, like, this is real, this is happening. He's serious about this. And um, yeah. this is going to be my reality from now, you know, from going forward. So yeah. and part of that is crazy. like, I can't change his mind, right? Like we can't force someone to love us. We can't force someone can't. back into a and situation. And I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. Well, yeah. I talk about it. I've, I, you know, I wrote an article for the Washington Post and it's called, um, I'm happy my husband married the other woman. And um, so spoiler there, but this really, um, at one point I talk about it in that article, I re- I got down on my hands and knees and begged him to, to not leave me. Mm. And so- you know, I think when you look at yourself through that lens, like you look pathetic and I looked pathetic and I was pathetic and I didn't mm. want to be that way. Yeah. And so all of these things were going on during this one week and then the three months or four months that followed from January to April. And I really had to question myself and I had to question what my children were looking at. And that was also another thing. Like, what were my kids? I have two girls and a, uh, you know, two daughters and a son. And, you know, both of all the kids, like, I didn't want them looking at a mother who was pathetic. And I didn't want anyone thinking this is, you know, from my ex-husband, my now ex-husband's actions, that this is how someone deserves to be treated. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I didn't want them to think that it's okay to be cheated on. And I didn't want them to think it's okay to do this to their significant other. You know, my son's going to get married one day. My daughters, you know, will get married one day perhaps. And, you know, um, I, or date somebody and I didn't want them to grow up thinking that this is okay. Yeah. So for me, you know, at the end of those three or four months, I'm like, I have no choice but to leave. And that's not the same choice for everybody. And people do reconcile, but Mm -hmm. for me personally, I just couldn't do it. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And for that reason, plus everything else that I looked back and kind of reevaluated, I I wanted something different. And mind you, I am, you know, 11 years out from this and it hasn't been an easy road, Mm -hmm. but I've built a business. 
you know, I have a writing career and I'm paid for it. And I have a book. My kids turned out great. And, um, you know, I have a whole life, God willing, ahead of me. And life goes on and you are very much in control of, of the life you create. That is powerful. It is so true. You are very much in control. You could have chosen right there. Am I going to play the victim here or am I going to be the victor of my life? And am I going to take this as an opportunity to really win at my life? Because I have a choice in that moment. You can be the scorned wife and be pissed off and you know angry and revengeful forever. But is that really going to serve you in terms of who you want to be right. and the person that you want your kids to see? Right. And I want to have a good life. Like I want to, you know, have fun. I want to go out to dinner and I want to travel. I deserve those things too. So he was, you know, off having a whirlwind romance and traveling and doing fun things. And I'm home. How, how was that fair? Right. So I had to pull it together and move forward. I also had to work. So my business and my writing really fueled me. Yeah. You know, I was building something for myself and I call it my fourth child. And um, that was mine. You know, the bit is mine. My writing is mine. And that was something I did for myself. And everybody has that strength within them. And someone, people can do things to you, Mm -hmm. but it's all how you deal with it. And he did something to me that wasn't nice, wasn't cool. I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, but I can't control what he does, but I can control how I react. And, um, even though I wasn't fully coherent during those months and feeling like, you know, it was a whirlwind around me and, you know, buying lingerie myself or somebody else. And, you know, but I knew enough to know that this is not what I want for myself, not what I want for my kids. And I went from there and it's a, it's a process to heal and you have to heal. Oh my gosh. It so is. And it already takes a very strong person to know and see that and be that self-aware that you already knew that within yourself and you wanted to catch that as it went. So how did the relationship with you and your ex, you know, continue after that? Were you guys to take a while to get on better footing? Were you, could you be amicable without being vengeful? Like walk us through that because that's a piece I think that hooks a lot of people is, can you let go? How do I let go? I, I don't want to forgive you, but I want to be like, you know, peaceful. How does this work? You know? Well, I, I think I'm, I don't want to minimize the fact that I'm sure he was going through his own turmoil. And I think that prior to doing this, I think that he was, you know, had his own turmoil in his life, his own emotions were affected. And I think that he was probably feeling very badly before all this came to pass. So he had a head start, you know, working right. on these feelings or whatever. But um, I don't think he realized the effect that him leaving had on me. I don't think he thought it was going to be a big deal for whatever reason. I just think he thought like we would just march on mm. and like he wasn't there for the two years and that it would kind of be business as usual. But that's not how things work. And I think he underestimated the actual effect that it would have on me, on the kids, because although he wasn't really in the house a lot, it's different when you're married and you are a family and there's not this third party there. So I think in that respect, he underestimated the fallout of, of what, you know, a splitting up would do. And so, um, 
I would say to him, you know, you need to call the kids more. You need to call our son because I think he thought he was little and um, he wasn't really asking to talk to him on the phone. I wasn't even thinking about it. My son was little. And I always talked to my husband every day when he was traveling, like a few times a day because of the time difference. We, mm-hmm. I just spoke. So at, when we were married, he didn't really talk to the kids on the phone as much. Mm. And then my son said to me, like, Mom, how come he doesn't ask to talk to me? And you know what? It occurred to me. And I said, you know, you need to talk to all three of them. And so that started um, a daily practice of you know, him calling all the kids and having conversations with them over FaceTime every day. And he's been mm. doing that for a decade or more. And, um, you know, you, you deal with what you have to. And so, although it's not perfect to have your father talking to you over FaceTime, um, most of the time, you know, you do it and you build a relationship. And of course he was coming back and, you know, um, seeing the kids regularly. So okay. He, at the, and, yeah, yeah, so you're I, still co-parenting from a from a distance, from two different continents. Very much co-parenting from eight thousand miles away. So you know, I've had two. One one of my daughters is out of college. One of them's a senior in college, and my son is going to college in the fall. And so we've always been on the same page with education, and these are constant conversations. And um, we've always been lucky. We're on the same page about the kids you know, about their upbringing, the values we have. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's been helpful. Yeah. And, um, you know, you you really learn to pick your battles. This is really important. Like I've seen people fight about the silliest things and fighting over ridiculous amounts of time, you know, who's driving who where and who's got this one. And, and I'm not saying we didn't run into a little bit you know, but you put your foot down when you want to, when it's important. And then, you know, sometimes you just sort of like, okay, I see Let your point. Go sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't constantly fight. I mean, I guess yeah. you can, but you know, people do it. People <laughs> I do. Know. And, yeah. um, you know, I just, I, I really think you have to pick your battles and, um, you just don't want to go through your life holding all this anger. It's much better. I sleep at night. Great. Like, right. It's that release of like your own stress, like you holding on to anger is the most toxic thing that you can do for your own body. Terrible. And so like when he first left, I remember I would wake up in the middle of the night. So like I said, I'd lost a lot of weight very quickly. It was unhealthy. My, I have a lot of hair, but you know, my hair was falling out and um, you couldn't notice it, but I knew there was a lot of hair everywhere. And um, I looked okay on the outside, but I just was not healthy on the inside. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and that it would hit me like a ton of bricks. What happened? Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I go to sleep. I'm out. Like I am, I sleep through the night. I get a peaceful night's sleep. Um, I like my life. Um, You know, I just like, I made that life for myself and I'm not saying, you know, it's perfect, but. You made that choice and you did that determined effort to make that happen for you. Now, co-parenting just from a distance and not having your ex-husband in the same place as you and not having to see that relationship in front of your face. I'm curious, like, do you think that might have helped your healing a little bit to not have to be exposed to like his new life, his new partner? Did that have any? What do you think about that? I'm sure. I think it would have been terrible and very difficult if I had to run into her, you know, walking around my my town. Like I right. didn't have to see her at pickup 
for the school. I didn't have to see her at the grocery store. Like I didn't have those experiences and people do. Mm -hmm. So I imagine, you know, it makes that you don't want to walk into a restaurant. If you're going to run into somebody, you know, I didn't have that. So, but you know, it's easier in one respect to not have my ex-spouse right there and harder in a lot of others because I didn't have a normal co-parenting schedule. Right. And there's no support. You are it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you take, you give and you get. You know? Yeah, I know. So if you are to tell, I mean, a lot of women, I know a lot of women can definitely relate to your story as you've already experienced that through your time. What is something that you tell them to focus on if they're going through something like this and you know they have been cheated on or there's infidelity and they've discovered it and it is like this ton of bricks comes over you your life is over you are devastated and scorned and you don't know how to pull yourself back up you know what is from your experience and what you've gone through what are ways that you tell people to keep on going keep on going like you have to get up in the morning i mean the kids really if you have children, that keeps you going. But I would definitely um, take your time to heal. Like, let yourself feel badly. Right. Like, don't try and just brush over it. Cry. Let yourself feel badly. I walked. Like, I walked like mm-hmm. Forrest Gump. I mean, <laughs> yeah. really did. I did. It helps. It's probably. I walked eight and a half miles a day. I walked in the morning four and a quarter miles. I had my route. And did it in the evening. And that's, it just, I had my headphones in. I listened to music. I went up and down hills. It's very hilly where I live. And um, that really just being outside. um, And I wasn't walking through a forest. Like, you have to do what you're comfortable with and um, go to your creature comforts and, um, you know, do what makes you feel good. And that doesn't mean like, you know, um, doing anything to excess, but I would, um, you know, say really like do for yourself, take time, travel, you know, go for walks, be outside, you know, don't crawl up in a ball, but if you need to on some occasions, it's okay too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And take take care of yourself, I think is key. Like, and don't stay there for too long. Like I do really, I think that grieving and going, allowing yourself to go through that process of really dealing with those emotions is so important. Don't stay there forever. You know, don't, don't hang on to those feelings where you're always looking back at, you know, oh, you did this to me or you did this to us. And this is your fault. Like you see a lot of that, right? Where you're, you're years, years, years through divorce. And there's still so much blame and shame that's put back on someone for the situation that you're in, you know, clearly it doesn't sound like that you did a lot of that. I was grieving um, for sure. Yeah. Grieve and grieving like the, the I mean like process. the blaming part. <laughs> oh, I, I blamed. Uh, I, I did. I went through all of this, mm-hmm. um, but I grieving is not linear and um, yeah. you know, you can be making progress. And I always say it's like one step forward, two steps back. And so um you keep going, you're, you're getting stronger, but you will have those setbacks. You will have those days. Something will set you off. We're human. It's inevitable. So um, I think that the best advice is to really be kind to yourself and um, to realize like no one's perfect and, you know, just be kind to yourself. Like you're, you're going to yeah. make mistakes. Like, yeah. you, you know, this isn't a perfect process. 
No, but, I mean, it's okay to give yourself permission to, to do that, make mistakes and to also look at your ex spouse, although, you know, they didn't, you didn't like their choices. Of course, we would never want that for ourselves, but they're human too. You know, everyone does make mistakes. And at the end of the day, there's still the other parent. They are still right. half of your children. You know, what exactly. is more important right now? You know, right, and and they're they're like you said, they're human, and um, you have to see the person. I talk about this in the book for the totality of who they are, and does one act make a person bad? Doesn't define one person, you know. Doesn't define you know one act doesn't define somebody. Yeah. So I think that's one way to look at it. You know, what are the qualities that you still? find, um, you know, appealing in this person and, you know, what qualities do your children see in themselves? That's a big one. Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. I love that. So I really think that, you know, everyone needs to go out and find Stacy, find her book (laughs) um, and tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your book, all your good juicy stuff so they can learn more about your story. Um, I think the easiest place to find the book, although it's sold at other booksellers, um, I think the easiest place to start is Amazon. And the book is I Bought My Husband's Mistress Lingerie. And Can't forget um, that name. Can't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so Amazing. And you're on – do you have any social media handles that you want people to, to think about? Uh, sure. Um, I am on uh, Instagram, Stacey Freeman, writer, S-T-A-C-E-Y-F-R-E. E-E-M-A-N, writer. Um, and that's pretty much, uh, if you go to stacyfreeman.com, uh, all my socials there. We'll find you there. Well, thank you, Stacy. I think that your story is inspiring in the way that you really took yourself. You know, you have a very high level of self-respect to be able to get through that and know what was best for you, what choices you need to make. Going through one of the hardest, you know, everyone, every woman's nightmare. I think is what you, (laughs) you faced yourself in your marriage, you know, and I think I, from what you're, you're telling me in your story is you've really just spawned and created this beautiful life and this powerful position in this world of serving others and giving back and sharing your story and, and really diving into your passion and finding like your voice. And I think that that's so inspiring too, is that divorce does not define us. And you can create the life that you want through it and after it at the end. And you're, you're a shining example of that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate you. Um, thank you for sharing your story and being vulnerable with us. And keep on going, girl. You are doing amazing. <laughs> you too. You too. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week. told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. 
From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. 